Welcome to the Antioch Dallas Sermon Podcast. Today's message is titled, Blessed to be a Blessing, and we hope it blesses and encourages you. We are continuing our series called Saturate, where we are learning what it looks like to become authentic disciples of Jesus. From the launch of our church, we have had a vision to join in with Jesus's work of saturating Dallas with the goodness of the gospel. But why is this so important? When the gospel saturates a city, spiritual renewal happens. People become more generous and empathetic. Families flourish. Vibrant communities are built. Race relations are more healthy. Works of mercy and compassion for the poor are invigorated. Schools are strengthened. Healthcare becomes more holistic and healing, and businesses are more creative and humane. When the gospel saturates a city, God is known and cherished and people flourish. And this is where you come into the story. As a church family, we want to renew our commitment to this vision and the values that undergird it. You have a meaningful part to play as we join with Jesus in saturating Dallas with the goodness of the gospel. Today's Old Testament reading is from Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Today's New Testament reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Today's gospel reading is from Matthew 6. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Well, I want to welcome you. If you don't know me, my name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here. It's a big week for us as a church. Last Sunday, Aaron Rodgers did it again. Uh, If you're a Cowboys fan, you know what I'm talking about. You leave that guy a minute left on the clock, and it's just 
every time. We were watching this my life group, and you're like, oh, here it comes. He's going to do it again. And none of you are laughing, so must not have the Cowboy fans in this service. We'll try and convert you to that. Uh, we like the Cowboys around here. Second kind of big thing is we had uh, three days of prayer and fasting, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of last week. Concluded on Wednesday evening with a time of worship and prayer together. It was rich. I ran into a pastor this morning who we've done a lot of ministry with. And he said, hey, I, he knows a lot of people in our church. He said, hey, I, uh, I saw a bunch of people from your church kind of take over a Chick-fil-A on Wednesday night. You have like the happiest people on the planet. I started laughing. I was like, well, we did a fast, and this was after our time to break the fast. So the reason they were happy was they were going to eat Chick-fil-A after fasting. So a secret to happiness, fast, and then go eat Chick-fil-A. One of the areas where it seems like God is at work and stirring something up in our midst is in the area of prayer. Uh, it's part of what was behind this fast time last week. And I just want to say, if that's you, if you're like, man, this is something that God's doing in me, I want to invite you to a house of prayer interest meeting uh, on the 29th uh, of October of this month from 1230 to 130. So right after the second service, if you're like, man, I know that God's calling me to grow in prayer at some place I want to I want to invest in. We're just going to gather together and kind of uh, brainstorm a little bit. So that'll be on the 29th. Uh, from 1230 to 1.30. Okay, we're going to continue our time of looking at the values of what does it mean to be an authentic, genuine disciple of Jesus. Uh, we've been through a number of these, and we're saying the reason why we're doing this is that our city has a really uh, interesting relationship between faith, uh, Christianity, and our lives. Uh, according to a recent kind of study, 87% of Dallas, if kind of pinned down, would say, yeah, I'm a Christian. But only 45% or so say that that faith has any real impact on my life. That's pretty significant when you think about it. That there's a wide divergence of, yeah, this means something to me, to this is impacting my, my life. And, and we as a community, we want to be authentic followers of Jesus. We want to really walk with him. And so we want to clarify, well, what does that mean? What might God have for us to pursue together? Along those lines, as we pursue those things, we believe, like the video said, that when the gospel saturates a city, uh, God is known and people flourish. And so in many ways, not just for ourselves do we want to pursue these, but as a community, we want to let this go deep within us for the sake of our city that we almost owe it to our city to let God work in us in these ways. And so we started out and we saw value number one, passion number one, calling number one is that Jesus is our treasure. That when we come to follow him, what we're invited into is altogether better than what you or I could have asked or imagined. That Jesus is not a means to some other end. We're not following Jesus so we'll get that significant other that we want or that paycheck that we want or, or whatever. But that he is an all-glorious end in and of himself. Well, I've heard it put one way, that Jesus didn't come primarily to give us bread, but to be our bread. He didn't come primarily to give us treasure, but to be our treasure. And so as disciples, we want to taste and see again and again and again the goodness of Jesus. And part of the guiding vision of our church is that we would grow in that. We also have said value number two is that the gospel of Jesus heals. That his healing ministry is both deep and wide. It touches our bodies. It touches our souls. It touches even our planet. And Jesus has given us, called us 
to a ministry of healing. And so as we know him, we're also called into being agents of healing uh, in relationship with one another and in our world. Value number three, passion number three, is that we're better together. That God not only brings us into relationship with himself in the gospel, but he brings us into relationship with one another. That when we come to know Jesus, we're brought into the forever family of God. Put it this way, discipleship is a group project. There are no Lone Ranger disciples. We're on a team together, and we want to live that out together. We want to live out the better together. Today, we're going to look particularly at how discipleship impacts our resources. And the big idea or the big phrase is that we're blessed in order to be a blessing, that we're blessed to be a blessing. And this is really important. It's a really hopeful teaching. It's a really encouraging teaching. And what you heard in the scripture readings for today from Genesis in the Old Testament, from 2 Corinthians in the New Testament to the gospel reading in Matthew, is that when people come into an authentic relationship with God, when it becomes real and when they begin to follow him, it impacts our resources. It impacts the way we think about our resources. It impacts our finances. And that's really good news because we have uh, some significant problems in this area. And my hope today is to show you two of those problems. The first one is a global problem. The second one is a personal problem. And then I want to point you to a gospel solution. So let's begin. The global problem uh, is is one that is uh, really stunning. That here in 2017 of the seven or eight billion people uh, on the planet, that approximately one in seven lives daily uh, facing hunger, facing food shortage. And I don't mean like, well, they didn't have the kind of cereal that I liked for breakfast, so I just kind of went without. No, it's people living without adequate nutrition, without adequate calorie sources that are consistently living and facing hunger. One in seven people in the world. Uh, This issue oftentimes affects some of the most vulnerable amongst us, children. And it's so pervasive that many have asked the question, hey, if God is so good, why would he uh, do things like this? Why would he not provide food for every person? Why are little kids starving if your God is so good? Maybe you've asked that question. Maybe you've wrestled with that. Well, as, as politicians and political scientists and agricultural experts have dug into this issue over the years, as they've researched this problem to try and bring uh, alleviation to it, they found something somewhat startling, is that the issue is not that there's not enough supply. The issue is in the distribution. In fact, I want to read you uh, from Professor Joshua Muldaven. Here's what he said. He's a professor at St. Lawrence College and an expert uh, in these matters. He said, we have two or three times the amount of food right now that is needed to feed the number of people in the world. I mean, we've got two to three times enough food to feed everybody what they need. And yet one in seven face daily uh, hunger. So the issue is not a supply issue. The issue is is a way that we're using our resources. The God has supplied enough and even more than enough, but there's a breakdown somewhere in the way those resources are distributed. 
And when you think about it, uh, the issue of how we distribute resources doesn't just affect food supply, but many of the greatest evils that we see in the world, that we would all agree that that needs to go, are rooted in issues related to how we use our resources, are rooted in issues related to greed and pride and fear and anger. I mean, think about the, the industry of sex trafficking or the drug trade. They're driven by greed and desire, a love of money, as the Bible says, is, is the root of all kinds of evil. It's a global problem. Now, if you're like me, when you hear this, you're kind of like, well, what, what am I to do about this? Most of the time, you just kind of change the channel on the TV because we just don't know how to process those issues, right? Right, because we also have personal problems. And I want to share some just interesting statistics. We as maybe one of the most affluent generations that the world has known face significant challenges with our own personal resources that at times are overwhelming. Uh, they, they cause us to be afraid, anxious, uh, just to stress. Let me give you some statistics. 50% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck with little or no savings to cover unexpected emergency expenses. So let's say half the room, right, are living where something unexpected comes up. You're like, I, I have no idea how I'm going to deal with that. You might be there right now. Um, only one third of Americans have a household budget. So one, two thirds of us, like I don't really have a plan for the resources that I have how I do anything with those. Earlier this year, the American total amount of credit card debt went over $1 trillion. Less than one in four millennials, we have a large number of millennials in our church, less than one in four millennials possess even the most basic financial knowledge. So many of us feel like we don't even kind of have the basic tools to begin to tackle how we use our resources. One survey found that, uh, uh, interestingly enough, though, millennials, we, I'm on the tail end of it, we rate ourselves 69% say we have a high self-assessment of financial knowledge. So 69% would say, hey, kind of know what we're doing. Uh, when they dug into the actual facts, though, only 8% of us actually showed a high level of knowledge, <laughs> right? So we have kind of a, an opinion. Yeah, I got it together. When they ask some real questions, like, oh, I don't know, you know. Um, it's not just for the young. 29% of adults 55 and older have no retirement savings and no pension. So they look to aging with no resources uh, available. Another survey found that 72% of Americans reported feeling stressed about money sometime during the past month. The majority of Americans said that money is the most significant stressor in their lives. More than uh, work issues, more than family issues, more than health concerns. It's money, money stress. They said this particularly affects, uh, again, many in our community. 77% of parents, 75% of millennials, and 76% of Gen Xers aged 36 to 49. In fact, 65% of Americans said they lie awake at night fretting over money, worrying over money, Right? We are people uh, in need. And even as I bring those things up, I just want you to know 
that we're sensitive to those needs. We're aware. You can feel kind of the emotion in the room. This is a very personal problem. It's not just a global issue, but oftentimes we're so eaten up with kind of what we're facing right in front of us. And so into that kind of situation that we're in, into a people that are anxious, afraid, concerned, having sleepless nights, worried about the future, Jesus himself, God with skin on, steps into our world with his grace, with his hope, with his truth, and with his power. That's what we're going to show you today. I want to show you for a people in need, a gospel solution. Starts in Genesis. We read earlier Genesis chapter 12 as God initiates with Abraham. And if you're familiar with the Bible story, you realize that Abraham is not just a random guy in the Old Testament, but he's known as the father of our faith, that God was at work in him and through him in a way that impacts us today, that we learn things from his life that are meant to shape our relationship with God. And as God initiates with Abraham, one of the first issues that he begins to speak to is the way that Abraham would think about his resources, the way that he would view his life and the purpose of his life. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, God speaks to Abram. He says, go from your country, your kindred, your father's house to the land that I will show you. He calls Abram on a discipleship journey, on a journey of following God. And in verse two, God speaks to him. He says, I'm going to make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. We see this concept that God was going to bless Abram. God was going to speak to him. God was going to move so powerfully in his life that he would be a blessing to many, that he would live as a blessing, that he would be blessed in order to be a blessing. Now look in verse three. God goes on to say, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and look at this. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That God was going to work so powerfully in Abraham, so powerfully in Abraham's family, that the grace of God was going to be at work, that all the families of the earth would be blessed through them, that they would be blessed in order to be a blessing. The same thing is true for the people of Jesus. We're in the family of Abraham. That God wants to bless you and me so much that we would be a blessing to every family on the planet. Now, what does that look like? Let's talk about the nature of this blessing. Because for many of us, it's unclear. Well, what does it actually mean that God's going to Bless me, right? Yesterday, my family and I, we'd been out of town for the weekend. We were driving back in and we saw a, a Jaguar car, the super nice, next to us as we entered kind of into Dallas once we got around South Dallas, downtown area. And the license plate on the car said God's favor. And we looked at that Jaguar and it was kind of clear they were sending the message that this Jaguar was a sign that they had been blessed by God. And I looked at that and my wife looked at that and we we're like, what, what exactly are they meaning? But as I've thought about that, I realized that's how most of us, when we think about the blessing of God, that's what we've been taught or that's what we believe. That when we talk about God blessing us, we're primarily thinking in monetary material goods, a nice car, a good job, health, 
wealth, a house, and those type of things. But when the Bible speaks about God's blessing or God's favor, it's not primarily rooted in material blessings. It's primarily for Abram and for his people. It was the fact that the God of the universe had initiated with them. That God had saved them, that God had called them, that God was moving their life, that they were getting to know Jesus. They were getting to know the God of the Bible. They were getting to know God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And in knowing him, that he was real treasure, that he was real blessing, that they were blessed not because they had a super nice car or didn't have a super nice car, but they were blessed because they got to know God. We receive that blessing. In fact, each and every one of you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have like a license plate over your life that says God's favor. Do you know that the favor of God is on you because of Jesus? The central act of our faith is not that we have kind of a, a Bible that's inspired. It's not that we, that we have a philosophy about life, but the central act of our faith summed up in John chapter three, verse 16, is that God, the God of the universe gave his son for you and for me. And then when we come to know him, we come to know real life. You are blessed. In fact, Ephesians says that you and I in Christ have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. This is really good news. Most of us, we've just gotten so hardwired into thinking that blessing is about what our bank account looks like, what our car looks like, what our, what our income looks like. And the blessing of God is so much deeper, is so much wider is so much longer lasting than just material things. You see, if we hold to the idea that it's just material blessings is how you tell that you're blessed by God, then we don't have a theology that works any place but affluent little pockets of our world. But we have a gospel that's for the whole world, that's for every person. And when you realize that God in Christ has blessed you, and that's who you are, that you are blessed by God. When you marinate in that, when you imagine yourself as a big frozen brisket that's thawing out and you're kind of getting marinated in the spices and, and the, the, the barbecue sauce and all that stuff and you're just putting the smoker for hours upon hours upon hours until the hard and rough and frozen places of your life get tenderized, to the love and favor that God has shown you in Jesus. When you let that sink deep in your discipleship, man, you come alive. You live as a free person. You realize that you're blessed by God and you're called into a purpose that's much larger than yourself and much larger than just your personal bank account and journey, but you're blessed in order to be a blessing. We see this at work in the Macedonian church that we hear about in 2 Corinthians. Paul's writing about it. So this is New Testament now. And Paul is talking about this church. I want to show you. He says to the Corinthian church, hey, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. So here we see this idea of being blessed and that overflowing and living as a blessing, right, is the grace of God at work in the life of a disciple. So he says, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. 
Now note, these were not people where their only issue in life was, well, how should I do with this investment versus that investment? These were people like you and me. They were probably stressed out, worried, I just like, oh man, what, what do we do? But the grace of God was for them. The grace of God was at work, working in their lives and overflowing in generosity. That's good news for us. He goes on to describe them uh, in verse six. He says, hey, I want you to learn from this. As you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in all earnestness and our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also, in this generous living, that when disciples of Jesus encounter the grace of God, when we encounter the goodness of the gospel, it reframes the way that we think about life. It reframes us to we're blessed by God and that overflows in our lives. The grace at work overflows in generosity, even at work in very challenging circumstances. Paul then points out in verse nine, he talks about this grace was at work in the life of Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you by his poverty, by him emptying himself on the cross, that you might be made rich, that you might be invited into the greatest treasure this world has ever known, knowing God himself, being a part of the family of God, being a part of the purposes of God. You've been blessed in order to be a blessing. Let's look at the Gospels. Jesus, if you read through the Gospels, you see like most of us, we were taught, hey, just if you want to be friends with people, don't talk about politics, don't talk about religion, and don't talk about money, right? Those are kind of just stir up hornet's nests. Jesus somehow didn't get that memo, right? He just seems very free to kind of just, hey, I'm actually going to talk to you about real life. I'm going to talk to you about real things, right? And why is this so important? When we live walled off, right, where it's like, ooh, I'm getting my lunch eaten because I'm so worried about my money. I'm so worried about paying my student loans. I'm so worried about kind of just figuring this whole thing out, but I don't want to talk to anybody about it because we're just supposed to keep that private. Jesus loves you enough to come near and to speak to you about some of the most defining issues of our lives. He says here to his disciples, he says, don't lay up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy And where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. You see again that you're to live with a different mindset. As a follower of Christ, the gospel overflows in our lives to where it makes us live differently. It gives us the resources to think about life differently. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus goes on to say in verse 24, you cannot serve God and money. So what we see is that when we start talking about being an authentic disciple of Jesus, what we realize is that it impacts our resources. It impacts the way we think about our lives. It impacts the way we use our resources. It calls us into stewardship. Now, I realize when I start talking about this, that the question is like, oh gosh, how much is this going to cost me? When the pastor starts talking about money, I don't know, right? You can laugh. You know that that's true. We're, we're kind of a, 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 a real place, right? But here's what I want to say to you. I want to offer a different perspective that maybe we're thinking about this wrong. Maybe the issue is not what God is trying to get from me, but maybe the issue is what does God want for me? The issue is not how much is it going to cost me to really follow Jesus. 
But maybe the issue is, what's the cost going to be? What type of life am I going to miss out on? By kind of stiff-arming God, changing the channel, if you will, on this issue. I'm going to just be left on my own to deal with my anxiety, and my fear, and my stress, and my worry, and the, 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 the kind of self-absorbed life. If I say no to God on this issue, and God is saying, I want to invite you into something more. I want to invite you out of a prison of anxiety because if I provided my son for you, for your greatest needs, how much more will I provide for your practical needs? I want to invite you out of that prison of fear. I want to invite you out of that prison of self-reliance where you're just trying to pull a plan together to make something happen because you have a provider who's provided his son for you. How much more will he provide what you need as you follow him? He wants to pull us out of being self-absorbed and just kind of focused on our own life into a life much bigger than we could imagine, much better than just, man, God's favor is I got a new Jaguar, but God's at work in my life and I'm blessed in order to be a blessing. And this world is becoming a better place because the grace of God has been at work in my life and in our lives together. What are you going to miss out on if we say no to Jesus in this area of discipleship? So I want to give you three kind of thoughts, responses, if you will, just like I've been doing on each of these values. And again, this is not something to add to your to-do app, you know, of here's what I need to do to kind of more things or whatever. No, these are questions meant to um, create some openness to the Holy Spirit. And how is the Holy Spirit speaking to you about what growing as a disciple looks like in this season for you? So the first one is self-awareness. Many of us, we're feeling all of these things, but we're very unself-aware, right? We, we, down beneath the, 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 the externals, we're getting our lunch eaten, but we don't even know it, right? So I want to ask you, how has your discipleship to Jesus impacted the way that you think about and use your resources? We saw how it impacted Abraham. We saw how it impacted the church at Macedonia and the church at Corinth. We saw how it impacted the, the original disciples of Jesus. What does that look like in your life? How's the grace of God been at work in the area of discipleship with your resources? Second question, in what ways is the Spirit calling me deeper in discipleship in this area? How might the Spirit be at work inviting you into a deeper, more transformative place of discipleship? Second kind of lane for consideration is related to our practice, not just kind of what we're thinking about, but the practice of giving to God. If you grew up in church, you probably heard it called tithing or an offering, and those have biblical kind of roots to them. But I want you to think about this. When we give to the Lord, when we take a percentage of our resources and we give them to God, to his purposes, to his people, this is a way that we begin to exercise this muscle, so to speak. That we begin to exercise this new perspective. That in giving to God, then it helps us to see with new eyes all of our resources. That we live under his provision, under his leadership, under his stewardship. That we'd practically live blessed to be a blessing. Okay? So some of us, you, you've never given before in your life. That's okay. Right? You, you might be like, ah, Zach, never done that. I uh, just kind of never have. 
So here's what I want you to think about. Just imagine a ladder in front of me. It's called the generosity ladder. If you've never given before, I would challenge you to give one time. Maybe it's $5. Maybe it's 50. Maybe it's 500. I don't know what a first step for you would be. But what if you said, okay, I'm going to do something with my faith. This isn't just going to be like kind of an abstract idea, but I'm going to, I'm going to take a step. And you give for the first time as a reflection of discipleship to Jesus, right? I wonder what God would do in you as you engaged in that way. If you've given kind of here or there, right? And you heard me talking about tithing and you're like, man, that's like the equivalent of, of me dunking a basketball. Probably not going to happen, right? It just that seems like way up there, okay? What have you moved from kind of here or there to prioritizing giving to God in your finances? To not tip him, like, well, I kind of had some extra money this week. You know, I'll just I'll throw in a couple bucks, just like you'd tip your waiter today. But what if you said, God, I'm going to give to you first. I'm going to pick a percentage. I'm going to pick 1%, 2%, 3%, whatever it is. And I'm just going to say, God, I'm going to give this first as a way of prioritizing my relationship with you. As a way of prioritizing the way you prioritize me. And I want to put you first in this area. I wonder how God would move in your life and move through your gift in the lives of others. Maybe you've done kind of the, the percentage, you know, your two or three, and maybe the step for you is tithing, right? Maybe it's like, I'm going to give 10%. My wife and I, we've been tithers since we got married. We're on the way to 15 years. It's just kind of been our deal as a way of saying, we want to live blessed to be a blessing. And God, we want to access your power and your provision because we need your help in the area of resources. We need you. And so we engage in that consistently. And maybe that's a step for you. Maybe you've been a tither and God's growing you in generosity to reflect the generosity of Jesus. And maybe he's calling you in this season a step up the ladder, a step of trust, a step of faith, a step of stepping out. So I want to challenge you to engage in the grace of giving, giving to God, his purposes, and his people. Third thing, as we close, is a learning opportunity. You might be like, Zach, I, I, I'm with you. I want to do this. But honestly, my finances feel like the biggest, nastiest cobweb that's just sticky. And it creates a pit in my stomach. And I just don't even, I've got student loan payments and a car payment. And I've got this and a credit card deal. And I've got red slips or pink slips coming in. The, I'm just... I don't even know where to begin, so I just avoid it. I just kind of close that room in my life and, and hopefully ignore it, right? We've got people in our church who's there. You might be there today. And I want to invite you into a learning opportunity because I want you to know there's healing and there's grace for you. In the spring, we're going to offer a growth course in the area of finances. And you may say, man, I'm going to take that step today. I'm going to take that step. I'm going to make plans to be a part of that course so that I can grow and I can get equipped, and I don't have to live this way, but that I really can live blessed to be a blessing. So with that, I want to invite you to stand, and we're going to go to God uh, with these things, because we need Him, and we need the Holy Spirit to speak to us and to move in our midst. The way we're going to do that today is by taking communion, so we'll have efficiency in the four corners of the room. And if you've never taken communion before, we do this regularly as followers of Jesus. When we take the bread, it reminds us of his body broken for us, given for us that we might experience his life.
His blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. And so as the band leads us in worship, you can take communion when you're ready. If you're not a Christian or you're just kind of like, I don't really even know where I am. There's no pressure to take communion today. You can stay uh, in your seat and just let's meet with the Lord. God invites us in today to go to him and meet with him. Jesus, we love you. Thank you that you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the gospel. And thank you that you invite us out of the chains of greed and fear and anxiety and thinking that our life consists in the abundance of our possessions. And you invite us into a life of trust, of faith, of generosity, of love, of being blessed to be a blessing. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would work powerfully in our midst as you meet needs today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope that encouraged you. If this message spoke to you, if God's doing something in your life, I'd love for you to send us an email and let us know. You can do that by just hitting reply on any of the emails you get from us. Wait, what's that? You don't get emails from us. Oh man, why don't you go to our website and you can sign up for our community newsletter. Once a week, you'll get updates on what's going on, what God is doing in our midst, and we would love for you to be a part. Uh, If you've enjoyed this series of podcasts, love for you to go on iTunes and leave a review. It helps other people find out uh, about this stuff. Love you guys, and we'll see you next week.